Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. All right. Listen, let's go ahead and pray again before we jump in to the Word of God. Father, we love you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're our teacher. Thank you that you speak to hearts and reveal things. We ask you to do exactly that this morning. Father, give us grace to have tender, receptive hearts. Father, bless us with eyes to see. Bless us with hearing ears this morning. Just take just a moment in your own words. Just ask God to speak to you. Just ask him to speak to your heart. You're not limited to what comes out of my mouth. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Just one word from God can change any situation. Whatever it is you're facing, wherever you need direction, and God can bring it to you in this service. Just ask him, Lord, speak to me. Speak to my heart. Father, speak into this situation. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we mentioned, and a lot of you are already aware, we are... uh, Two-thirds of the way through of 21 days of fasting and prayer. That's how we always start, start the year. Just set that time aside to consecrate the year, to get the heart of, of God. So we're two weeks in. But if you haven't been participating yet, it's not too late. You can start fasting and praying with us today. You can start tomorrow morning. If... Um, you've never done it before, one of the ways that we really encourage people to participate is just take, take 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. fast, breakfast, and lunch. That's not time to get extra work done. It's not time to, to run some errands. It's time to seek the Lord. We're, we're dedicating that time to prayer. That's what makes Bible fasting Bible fasting. It's not just skipping meals or a hunger strike. We're using that time to press in to the things of, to the things of God. So you can join us tomorrow, finish out this last week strong with us. We'd love to have you do that. I know there's a number of people that are doing the complete fast this year. They're going the entire 21 days with no food. If that is you, and especially if it's the first time that you've done that, as we get close to breaking this fast next week, I want to give you a word of caution to take it easy when you break the fast. Okay? If you haven't eaten food in 21 days, the first thing you drop into your tummy shouldn't be filet mignon. Okay? Even though you might want it really bad, you're going to cause yourself some problems, and you could potentially damage yourself. So you can start drinking some broths if you haven't already, some juices. You know, it's like your stomach has been asleep, and you want to kind of gently wake it back, wake it back up. And so when, when you break, um, maybe again, broth or some soups, things that are a little easier to digest, don't gorge yourself, don't try to make up for those 21 days in, in one meal, so just take it easy. You know, fasting is something, is, is a spiritual discipline that the Bible instructs us to participate in. And it's maybe one of the more neglected disciplines. You know, I grew up in church and I didn't hear a whole lot about fasting until really college and, and beyond that. You hear about Bible study and you hear about, you know, spending time in prayer, which are important. Those are necessary. We need to do those things. But sometimes you don't hear anything about fasting. And one of the reasons is it's, it's not really a pleasant thing to talk about. You talk about denying yourself food. It's a rare person that gets really fired up uh, about that. And if they do, that's almost cause for, cause for concern in, in the natural. 
But the Bible tells us we, we need to take time to fast and pray. In fact, we're in a series that we're calling When You Fast, taken from Matthew chapter 6. And as Jesus is teaching, that, that's the kind of language that he used when he was talking about fasting. He said, when you fast, and then he began to give instructions about when you fast, how to do it properly. If I told my kids, hey, when we go to Disney, when we go to Disney, and then started to give them instructions about to, what to do when we got to Disney, hey, when, when we go to Disney, let's make sure we stay all together this time. Hey, when we go to Disney, let's get some pictures together. Then it would be fair for them to say, so we're going to Disney? It would be crazy if I respond like, no, why, what are you talking about? Going to Disney. This morning, if I said, hey, when, when the dance team comes out here in a little bit, um, and then started to give some instructions that went along with that when. When the dance team comes out in a little bit, let's just hold our applause to the end. Can everybody, everybody willing to do that? You, you look, we have, we have a dance team? No, why? Because it's a fair expectation, right? I've said, if I said, hey, when I come over tonight, you want me to bring anything? You, you, oh, you're coming over? No. Right? When, you, when you use that kind of language, you get the point. When you use that kind of language, it, it's because you are going to do what you are talking about. So when Jesus said, when you fast and then took time to give instruction, it's because there was 100% expectation of people that were serious about following him that they would take time to fast and pray. And we've looked at other passages where we see it in the early church, other times where Jesus was directly teaching about taking time to fast and pray. If you were here last week, we talked about how fasting is a time to gain clarity. It's a time for evaluation. It's a time to really allow God to rearrange any priorities that need to be rearranged. And we talked about the time where Elijah had the showdown with the prophets of Baal that they were going to call down fire from heaven. And the God who answered with fire, he'd be acknowledged as the true and living God. And as Elijah was addressing the Israelites who had been kind of straddling the fence a little bit, they'd been saying, you know, there's some things we like about serving Baal. We don't mind doing that. And there's also some things about serving God. We want to be known as the children of God. And we like the perks that come along with that. Well, he addressed them and he said, listen, you guys have got to evaluate the situation. If Baal is God, if you're right, if Baal is God, then by all means, serve him. Go all in on serving Baal and for, forget the Lord. But if the Lord is God, then serve him. And that's something we need to apply to our own lives. If the sin that you sometimes get tangled up in, if the things that try to steal your affection, steal your attention, try to tangle you up, the cares of life or the pleasures that you're seeking, if those things really are worth your devotion, if they can forgive you, if they can satisfy you, if they can get you to heaven, if they can get you in relationship with God, if they can help you fulfill the call on your life and fulfill your destiny, then what in the world are you doing? Doing here. Forget about this book. Forget about this Jesus stuff. If that's really where it's at for you, then get there and go all in on it. But if that's not where it's at, if those things are incapable of doing what only the Lord can do, then why in the world wouldn't you serve God with all of your heart? You've got to make a decision and what way you want to go. And if Jesus really is the Lord, if he is the soon coming King, if the Lord is God, then serve him with all of your heart. Quit straddling the fence and trying to blend things together and dabble here and dabble there. And that's the challenge that we had last week. We, we said, let's make, let's make a commitment to one another as individuals and as a church family. This year, I will make unusual spiritual progress. I'm going to love God like I've never loved him before. I'm going to be more devoted to him than ever before. I'm going to dig into his word. My prayer time is going to be sweet and powerful. I'm going to find a deeper place of intimacy. That we've made that, we've made that commitment. You know, I, I would add to that time in church. I just, we just talked about it. it's important that you be in the house of God. Why not make a commitment at the beginning of the year? I'm not going to miss a Sunday. It matters that you're here. 
You know, last year, I didn't miss one Sunday. And I know I'm in a little bit different position, but when I'm on vacation, when I'm on vacation, I, I, that's a commitment. I've got every Sunday morning, the first part of that week, it belongs to you. Wherever you go on vacation, they have churches there. Find one and get in there. It's not, it's not about, I'm not trying to build this church. I'm trying to build the church. I'm trying to build you. Make, make a commitment. God, your house is important. I, I will honor you by every Sunday morning. You will find me in your house, singing your praises, acknowledging you. Lord, this week belongs to you. I'm giving you, I'm giving you the first part. Beginning of the year is a great time to make a commitment to do that. You know, if you were here last week, I talked about uh, not using the fast. Don't spend the fast wishing the fast were over. Don't, don't waste it, just longing for it, longing for it to be over. We talked about not spend, don't spend your time obsessing over food. Don't just dream about what dishes you're going to prepare. Don't find new recipes and just, you know, be obsessed with it. And I know that obviously you're going to be thinking about it, but fight that as much as you can, because it doesn't make any sense to say, Lord, I'm taking this portion of time and I'm setting aside food so I can focus on you and then focus the whole time on food. You you might as well just go ahead and eat. You're, You're missing, you're missing the point that our attention, our devotion, Lord, this is special time for me and you, that you've got, you've got my undivided attention. Hunger reveals things. Fasting reveals things. You know, it reveals all kinds of things, things that bubble up on the inside that need to be dealt with. But one of the things that fasting reveals, it's really, really simple, but it's important. Fasting teaches us what it's like to be hungry. Fasting reminds us of the way that hunger behaves. When you are really hungry, how does hunger operate in your life? When people are fasting or maybe just they've gotten busy at work and they haven't had a chance to eat, it's not uncommon to hear people talk about, oh man, I've got to eat something. Man, I just can't wait. I can't wait until I can finally eat. Uh, when they're fasting, man, two more hours until six o'clock. Man, I, I don't know if I can go two more hours. One more week until we break this fast. Uh, one more week. I don't know if I can go another day, man. There's food I've been craving. I've been longing for people dreaming about food, all kinds of things. That, that's the way that hunger behaves right? It dreams. It longs. Man, I'm craving oh, stuffed crust pizza, man. I, I can't stop thinking about it. That's all. Right? It's on my mind all the time. I'm just counting down the days. That's the way hunger behaves. Well, the Bible says that we're supposed to hunger for God. We're supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we're supposed to set our desire on him. So it reminds us the way that hunger believes. And sometimes what we dismiss as hungering for God, getting to church once or twice a month, reading our Bible once a week, that, that's not hungering for God. That's barely tolerating God. God. Hungering is, man, I, oh, I can't wait until I see you again. Man, I can't go any longer without you. Man, you're all I've, all I've been thinking about. You hear people talking about food like that. I've never heard you talk about the Lord like that. But that, that's what it means to hunger. And God wants us to hunger after. Well, it's different because food, food actually sustains me and gives me life. Hmm. Right? That we're supposed to hunger, hunger after him. So, Fasting reminds, okay, this is the way hunger behaves. When's the last time? Lord, I can't wait until the next time I'm in your house. God, I can't wait until I crack open your word. Oh, you God, you're all I've been thinking about. God, I've been dreaming about you. You're on my mind all the time. Like the Bible says, day and night, he's meditating on that. That's a man that's hungry for the things of God. And God's looking for people that will have that kind of hunger. Not an indifference, not a buy. I guess I'm willing to go. I guess I'm willing to go along with this thing. A hunger, a desire, a thirst for the things of God. God's looking for people like that. Amen? Amen. 
Fasting wasn't given as, as a way to be cruel to us. It wasn't God saying, I wonder what all these people are willing to do. God give us just hoops to jump through for religious purposes. It is a powerful tool that God has given us, and it, it can bear all kinds of different results. And I want to talk about one of them this morning. Fasting is a tool God has given us to bring about change, to change things. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58. Fasting causes change. Isaiah chapter 58. This is God speaking to people that were participating in fasting, but they were, they were missing the point. They were spinning their wheels. Even though they were skipping meals, they weren't accomplishing. They weren't in line with his heart for the discipline of fasting. So Isaiah chapter 58, we'll start reading in verse 3. It says, we have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? He's talking to these people and he says, you've been fasting, but you're just, you're going through the motions. You're just acting this thing out. It's all just a religious rigmarole that you are, you're bowing your head, you put on burlap. It's just about feeling pious. It's, it's an effort to impress God. You know, fasting doesn't impress God. It's not a way that we impress him. Oh my goodness, I can't believe they're actually going through with this thing. They actually skipped a meal. We're not impressing him. And fasting isn't, isn't to, be do, to do something to feel more righteous and pious and holy and impressed with ourselves. It's, it's not to impress anybody. That, these people were doing it. He says, you're, you're missing the point. That's not, what, that's not what it is about. And he says, your fasting doesn't have any real outcome. It, it doesn't change anything. It just makes you proud of yourselves. You're, you're still quarreling. You're still fighting. You're still, nothing, nothing has changed. You know, when we fast, fasting is not a spiritual feats of strength. It's not a competition between believers to see who can go further, last longer, any of those things. It's not to establish a pecking order or to give people bragging rights that they, 21 days, huh, did 22, just, just felt to do it. That, that, that people get caught up in that stuff. That's not what fasting, fasting isn't any of those things. That's not the fast that God has called. That's where we start uh, twisting things up with a religious mindset. The result of fasting isn't, shouldn't be that we are proud. God didn't give us this tool that the end of it would be that we are, have a, a religious pride. Like God was thinking, how can I get these people to engage in some pride every once in a while? He, he didn't need a tool for that, right? And the result of fasting shouldn't be that you're discouraged. Th those aren't the results that God wants. We've done this fast enough times, so I'm not, I'm not thinking if this is you, I'm not aware of it. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. But typically there are people that start off the fast with the goal of going the entire 21 days. 
but then somewhere along the line, for whatever reason, they end up breaking their fast earlier than what they had planned to. The enemy will use that to try to put condemnation, to try to make you feel ashamed, like God's disappointed with you. That's not the kind of fast that he's chosen. He hasn't, the, the results of it shouldn't be people that are arrogant and proud or people that are discouraged and feel like God's, God's upset with them. He wants, he wants there to be results, but then he begins to describe, okay, when I, when I came up with fasting, when, when I told you guys I want you to fast, Here's what was in my heart. Here's kind of what I was dreaming. Here's the power that fasting really has. Verse six, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. He, he begins to give examples of what fasting has the potential to do and what he wants to see it accomplished. Fasting should have results, good Good, visible results. Think about the things that he just listed. That the oppressed go free. That the homeless now have shelter. That the people are bound are, are now free. People that needed clothing now, now have clothing. It's not just good results. It's not just like, man, that is really, that's so nice. That's so nice. Those are drastic, remarkable results. Those are complete changes of story. When you, if you knew someone in one of those situations and they experienced one of the things that he listed there, you would have to remark on it. If you knew someone that went away uh, in prison for something they didn't do and then you saw them, you would have to remark, wouldn't you? you say, oh, Steve, I, I thought you, were, you went in prison for that, that crime. What in the world are you doing out walking on the side? You'd have to respond to it because it's an amazing turn of events. That is a life-changing result when someone who is in prison is no longer in prison. It's remarkable. You have to remark. You used to be in prison. Oh my, oh my goodness. Hey, di didn't, you, didn't you used to be homeless? Didn't you used to be bound? Didn't you used to be naked? <laughs> Whatever the case may be, it's a remarkable difference. Someone in one of those situations that comes out the way that this passage is describing, it, they, they've completely done a 180 in life. And God is describing the kind of fasting that he has prescribed, the power that fasting has. And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge myself. I believe God wants to challenge us as a church family. What is it that you are believing for? What is your expectation through this fast, starting off a new year. What is it you're believing for? I just want to, I just want to be able to say that I did it. I just want to, you know, I'll be able to cross off the list. That, that's just religious nonsense that he was condemning those people for. You know, I just want to, you know, kind of, I don't want to be left out. I know other people are doing it. What are you believing for? He, he condemned the kind of fast where there's no real outcome other than people going through religious motions. He said, you've, you've got it all wrong. You're missing the point. What is it you want to see God do? What is it you believe he can do in you and through you? What does 2023, what is your vision for this year as far as what God wants to do? Because fasting is a tool to open the eyes of our heart, to open the eyes of our spirit man, to hear from God and to begin to see things the way that he sees them, to see the possibilities, not from the natural mind, to shed that and to begin to see things from a spiritual perspective. You know, Jesus told someone in Matthew chapter nine, according to your faith, be it unto you. So it, it matters what you're believing for coming out of this. Jesus said, according to your faith, in line with your faith, consistent with the results that you'll see will be consistent with the way that you believe. So if you're going into this year, I just want to kind of, I'm not really believing for a whole lot. Well, then Jesus, according to Jesus' words, that's what you can expect, not a whole lot. I'm not really believing for much. Well, 
Jesus says, if that's where your faith is, that's the results that you're going to experience. Not, not, a whole lot, not a whole lot has changed. Fasting is a tool to awaken our spirit and to stir up our faith and to believe for big things. Fasting is a tool to make impact, to change situations, to reverse scenarios that are headed the wrong, headed the wrong way. That's why he's given us this tool. That's why we are engaged with this tool. Not, not just because hey, we did it this year. I don't know. Put it on the calendar again. No, because there's situations that need changed, situations that need an injection of the power of God, the spirit of God, people that need shaken and woken up to the things of God. Fasting is a tool to make it happen. So if your if your hopes and dreams for the year is just, I just want to, I just want to make it through, then you don't need fasting. Fasting is far more significant of a tool than what you're looking for. It's, it's like, it's like if you had someone that wanted you to help them open a cereal box and you start up a chainsaw. It's like, well, I mean, that's, that's like a little bit overkill. I don't feel like that's really, that's really necessary. If you're just looking to muddle through this year, fasting, fasting is not the tool for you to use. Participate in fasting with an expectation. Man, this year is going to be unique. I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lurch forward. I'm going to make significant progress in the things of God. I won't be the same again. I'm going to experience a change of story. And if it can take a bound person to free, what can it do in a free person's life when they engage in fasting and prayer? Just to catapult you to a new level. And a According to your faith, Jesus said, it'll be unto you. So we've got, we've got to allow, allow this to be a morning where God stretches, expands our vision, where we hear from him, God, what do you want this year to look like? You know, when you think about what he described in Isaiah 58, those, those results aren't unique in the heart of God to when people fast. God doesn't just care about homeless people finding shelter and bound people being loosed oppressed people being set free. That, that's not just fasting time. That's always in the heart of God, right? It's not like if you went to minister to some homeless people and God realized you weren't fasting, you'd be, what, what are you doing? You're not on fast. Why are you helping these people? Be, no, it's always in the heart of God to do that, right? He always. So then fasting is a tool to help us line up with what he wants, to set aside our own desires, to get, get out of just fulfilling ourselves and get the heart of God. It sensitizes us to the will of God and the heart of God. We begin to see things, not from a natural perspective, but to see things from his, his perspective. It helps us move from a natural flesh mindset to a spiritual, a, a faith mindset. You know, it, it takes faith to serve God. It requires faith to serve God. It requires faith to believe the Bible. It requires faith to act on the Bible. And one of the main hindrances we have to deal with if we want to be people of faith is the natural, is the flesh. The, the natural is always an obstacle for people walking in faith. You can look through the Bible and look at story after story where that's exactly the case. The story of Abraham. Abraham was 100 years old before he had Isaac. When the Bible talks about him, it said that he did not consider his own body, even though it was as good as dead. He didn't consider the barrenness of his 90-year-old wife's womb. He wasn't, his mind wasn't on those things. What was his mind on? His mind was on the fact that he considered the one who promised was faithful and able to do what he promised he would do. His mind was in another realm. He was looking at things not from a natural perspective, because if he would have considered, if it would have said Abraham was considering his his wrinkly old body that never been able to produce and his, his wrinkly old wife, then that he would have, he would, it would have sapped him of the faith necessary, right? So the natural is an obstacle that has to be overcome to be men and women of faith. David and Goliath is another example. When David went to visit his brothers, went into the Israelite camp where they're at, at war 
or at least staged off with the Philistine army. Goliath comes out and begins to shout and make his threats. What were the people running around scared saying? They were saying, have have you seen the giant? Have you heard the giant? They're, They're going by senses. They're going by things in the natural. David was asking questions about what is the person who cuts this guy's head off? What reward is there for him? He knew he wasn't going out. It's craziness in the natural to send a young boy out against a 10-foot-tall, experienced giant. He wasn't doing it in the natural. He was doing it. He said, I'm coming against you in the name of my God, and God is going to turn you over to me. He wasn't reliant. If he would have seen it from the natural, he would have been running around with everybody else that was seeing it from the natural. When Peter walked on water, when his eyes were on Jesus, when his perspective was right, he was standing standing in the middle of the sea on top of the water. That's impossible from the natural. When his mind got on the waves, he started seeing them. He started hearing the wind. Then he started moving his mindset from one realm to the other, and he started to sink. God's word says amazing things about you, but it takes faith to believe them. And you've got to be willing to shove aside the natural to be able to engage with what God's word has to say about you. Fasting helps us to do that, to move from I'm dead to this. I'm walking according to the spirit of God. There's another realm that I belong to. I'm not tied to these temporary things. God's word says amazing things about you. But if you only view yourself from the natural, how old you are, what's in your bank account, what things are like at work, who's your circle of friends, and you, the only potential you see in your life is tied to those things, you'll never, you'll never see for yourself what God sees for yourself. The Bible says amazing things. You know the Bible says that God delights in the prosperity of his servant? Psalm 35, God delights. He's not just okay with it. It thrills him. He delights. Now again, prosperity is a word people get hung up on. It's, it's not just limited to money. It means success. It means advancement. God delights to see you. It's the will of God. The will of God that you would succeed as you go throughout this year. Whatever you're called to do, he delights to watch you bear fruit, to prosper, to move forward, to rise high. That's in the heart of God for you. But it's got to be in our heart and receive it from him with faith. Psalm chapter 1 talks about men and women who meditate on the word of God, that are hungry for the things of God, that their leaf doesn't wither. They bear fruit in their season, and whatever they do, it prospers. That you can go into this year with an assurance, whatever I do, it prospers. Whatever I do, well, I doubt that because I got this. No, that's from the natural standpoint. We got we to gotta go from God's standpoint and view things through the lens of his word with faith. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you that you would be fruitful. And even when you bear fruit, I'm going to prune you, make some adjustments. Why? So you can bear even more fruit. You are under a command from the word of God to be fruitful and to multiply. But you, you've got to see that for yourself. In third John, it says, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. God's word says amazing things about you, but so many people take that and then make it subject to what they see in the natural around them. If I, if I could say God's word says you're an average person and this is going to be a mediocre year, a lot of people are like, yeah, okay, I can, I can, I got faith for that. I believe that. It, it doesn't take faith for that. That's why a lot of people will, will dumb down the word of God because it doesn't, it, people can engage with it freely. It doesn't take any faith. People can be naturally, carnally minded and still engage in the word, the word of God. But the word of God is spirit. The word, the word of God is spirit. And that's where we have to engage. Fasting helps us to move the flesh aside. Fasting snaps us out of a limited, natural way of thinking. And helps us to think in the spiritual realm, in the realm of faith. 
You know, God is spirit. The Bible says God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and, and in truth. So when I say, you know what, I'm not going to judge the situation. I'm not looking at this year. I'm not looking at my potential. I'm not looking at what God can do in me and through me according to, to the natural. You step into the spiritual realm. That's where God is. And with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. Don't, don't disqualify yourself from what God's word has to say about you just by what's going on that. I'm, I'm this old. I'm this young. I don't have much money. The family background I come from, you know, where I live. Here's what's going on in the workplace. At this point in my life, I really don't see how I could, I don't see how I could have a breakthrough in that. And that, that, that's all natural thinking. And it's something you have to overcome in order to engage. If you're taking time fasting and praying, he wants to do incredible things in you and through you, change of situation, dramatic, huge steps, a change of story. That's what God desires in each one of us. Fasting helps snap us out of that limited natural thinking to believe with God all things. Man, there is nothing off the table. There's nothing off the table for your life. There's nothing off the table for this year. All things are possible. The Bible says there's a power on the inside of you by which God can do immeasurably beyond anything you ask or, or imagine. Fasting helps us make that, make that shift. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17 is the story where Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's got three of his disciples up there. When he comes down from the mountain, he finds that the other nine disciples had tried to pray for a man's son, and they didn't have any success. And so the man brings the boy to Jesus and he says, I had your disciples pray for him, but they weren't able to cure him. Matthew chapter 17, verse 17, it says, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. We'll keep reading, but Jesus is assessing the situation, right? He's looking at the people and he describes them two ways. He says, you're faithless. And the second thing that he says about them is related to the first. He says that you're faithless and you're perverse. When he uses the word perverse, it's different than how we usually use the word perverse. He's not saying they like to tell dirty jokes, uh, that they're, they're child molesters or anything, anything like that. It means literally that it's distorted. It's twisted. It's turned. It's off. They're not seeing things right. They're faithless. Why are they faithless? Because they've got things out of order. There's something that's become twisted in their heart, twisted in their mind. And he continues. Verse 19, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So Jesus deals with the situation, you, you faithless, distorted, you're not seeing things right, generation, Bring the boy to me. He prays to the boy, restores him to his father. Then when the disciples got Jesus alone, Jesus, why, why, why weren't we able to minister to that kid? We, we prayed for him. Nothing happened. And Jesus tells them, it's because of your unbelief. That was the reason. Unbelief. And then he starts to talk about faith. 
If you, if you had faith, even like really, really small faith, you, you know what you could do? You could, you could speak to a mountain. Think about the illustration Jesus uses. Of, of all the illustrations he could have drawn from, he said you could speak to a mountain and you could tell that mountain, I want you to not be there anymore. I want you over there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. He could have used any illustration he wanted. These guys are struggling at the small level. He's talking about a little bit of faith. Let's just get them on a, on a starter, on a starter pack of faith. He could have said, you know, you, you could, if you have, if you have even a little bit of faith, you can, you can bend a spoon with your mind. You could speak to the part in someone's hair and tell it to move from the right-hand side to the left-hand side. I mean, he could have used any of those illustrations, right? But why, why did he start? I mean, that, that is significant. That is magnificent. That is an enormous thing to speak to a mountain and tell it to leave the place where you've been for however long, and I want to relocate you. Why did he start off with that kind of illustration? Because that's just the nature of things in the spirit realm. They, they are significant. That's the way that faith works, and that's the kind of thing that God wanted them doing, the way that he wanted them thinking, not small little insignificant changes not little party tricks. He wanted them thinking huge, amazing, astounding impact by the Spirit of God on the inside of them. That's why he used that illustration. I don't want you thinking small. I want you thinking on a grand scale, a way that pe people notice. People might not notice if you part your hair on a different side. They're going to notice if they see a mountain sliding across the ground and relocating somewhere else. That's the kind of impact he wants people to have. That's why he used that illustration. And then he gave them a, a prescription. It, you couldn't do it because there was a lack of faith. You're, you're perverse. You're seeing things out of order. You're, you're valuing what's going on in the natural, and you're thinking that it's more significant than what's going on in the spiritual realm. You're getting caught up in what you see, what you smell, what you hear. The natural mind is limiting you. So here's what you do. The problem is faith, but you're not going to have that breakthrough until you take time to fast and pray. Why? Because fasting and prayer helps move us out of the natural, downgrades the value we put on natural things, and emphasizes, shifts us, uh, shifts us into walking in the Spirit, which is where God has instructed us to live our lives, to live by the Spirit. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 19. I, I've shared from this passage before. And I don't like being repetitive, so I, I apologize. But this is just such a powerful, a powerful picture of God from God's word of the mindset that so many people allow themselves to fall into, and it keeps them from the things that God has destined them for. That it's the story of the time where Lot and his family were living in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and those cities were so wicked so foul that God had decided, I'm just going to send judgment. I'm just going to rain down fire. They're done. I'm just going to wipe them out. But in his mercy and kindness, he sends angels to Lot's house to tell them, you guys have got to get out of here. God wants to spare you. He doesn't want this judgment to come on you. We, we, we got to get out of here. So a lot of you are familiar with the story. That's what's going on. We'll pick up the story in Genesis chapter 19, verse 17. It says, when they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Oh no, my Lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life 
and you have shown such great kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there, and I would soon die. See, there is a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. God gave specific instruction to Lot and his family to escape destruction and not just go any old place. He said, I want you to go to the mountains. I want you to go to a high place. I want you to rise above the situation. I've got a place for you in the mountains. But Lot heard it and said, man, that sounds really tough. That sounds really hard. I don't know if I can make it there. I, I just can't see myself in the mountains. That just, I just, I don't know. Here's something that's way more convenient, way easier. There's this little town over here. Hey, can I, can I, he says, can I go there instead? And God permitted it. God allowed him to go. But just a couple of verses later, in verse 22, it says this. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The name of the city. Where he said, I, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't feel like going to the mountains. I just can't, I don't see, it seems really hard and difficult. It'd be a lot easier on me if I can just go to this little village. Therefore, the name of that town was called Zoar. And the word Zoar in the Hebrew means place of little significance. It means insignificant, small. Now, I'm sure some of that's because it was a small village. It was a small town. But it says that they named it that because of what Lot did, because of the way that he behaved. And so many people adopt that same mindset. You know, God has called you to great things. God has called you to make impact. God has called you to rise higher and higher and bear more and more fruit. God has called you to a life of significance, not just going on, on a treadmill, not just making it from one week to another. God has called you to do great, great things. But so often people think, here's the dream I have in my heart. Here's what could be, you know, what would be a lot more convenient. If I, I, I can see myself at this level, it's more believable to me. It's easier for me to believe in just this life of insignificance that I, I can set my faith for these small things. I can see myself achieving that when that, that's not what God has designed you for. That's not what he's called you to, but you've got to believe it. He'll let you squander your life. He'll let you squander your potential in some un insignificant level, but that's not what his, his, his heart for you. His heart is to see you rise to the mountaintop. In fact, the Bible says that God is designed you. He's changed the way that your body works, the way that your being works, because you belong at a high place. Listen to what it says in Psalm 18. It says, he makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He's, he's given you the feet of a deer. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, able to stand on my high places, it says in the New King James Version. My high places. That means there are high places that God has destined for you. Places of impact, places of significance, places of greatness. But if you can't see yourself there, then he's not going to be able to get you there. It's going to require your participation through faith. Don't settle for Zoar. As you look at this year, as you plan and dream, as you look at this next week, as you look at the rest of your life, don't settle for just getting by. You know, I can set my faith. Uh, maybe I can pay off the car. Maybe I can get that, That's small stuff. That's not what fasting is for. Fasting is for huge, significant impact, change of story kind of changes. What God wants to do in your life anyway, it just helps to cultivate an environment where I can get on the same page as him. I can start to see in me and through me what he sees in me and through me, where you can start to see what he's deposited on the inside of you. It's no small thing. It's the very power of God, able to do beyond anything you ask or imagine. With God, nothing is impossible. That's what he's put on the inside of you, but you can let, you can let it lay 
dormant. You can let it just carry it around all your life, or you can engage your faith and allow it to start to blossom in your life, to start to bear fruit like you've never borne it before. But it requires faith. It won't happen in the life of a person that settles for Zohar. That's the nature of the kingdom of God. That's just the way the kingdom works. When Jesus was trying to describe the kingdom, he said, uh, what, what else can I say? How else can I, how else can I describe this to you? Okay, the kingdom of God, it's like a, a mustard seed. It's the smallest of seeds. When you plant it and it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants where birds start coming and building nests in, in the branches. He, he was describing the kingdom of God. That's the way the kingdom of God works. Take something that doesn't look like much. Take some, I, I can't see much coming out of that. I, I just don't see anything significant in there and just astounds you of what he's able to bring out. And Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. That's the nature of the kingdom. To look at your life and say, it doesn't look like much. I don't know what God can do with this. Look at my situation. Look how far I am. Look how old I've already become, and I haven't seen that happen. Whatever, whatever, however your mind works along those lines, it's the nature of the kingdom to take something that doesn't look like much and make much out of it. One more passage of scripture, and then we'll pray. Genesis chapter 26. Jesus, praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. This is a story that you read from earlier during offering. Isaac's in the land of the Philistines. We read that passage. He begins to sow. He prospers, continues prospering, becomes very prosperous. And then it says that the Philistines got jealous of him. They started to be unkind to him. And one of the things they did to express their dislike is they took dirt and they started to fill in his wells. And so he left that place and he went to a place where his father had been before him into those wells. And, uh, and apparently that was just uh, par for the course when Philistines got jealous of you to start clogging up your wells with dirt because he found the same thing. I want to read from Genesis 26, verse 17. It says, Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. So Abraham left, went to a land where there's wells, but those, those Philistines had gotten to these ones as well. And so he starts digging, starts getting that, that dirt out of the way. He unstops them. And when he unstops them, it allows the water, the potential on the inside to begin to flow again. Now, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, a well is a picture of spiritual life. It's the picture of the Spirit of God working in someone. Jesus told the woman at the well, if you drink the water that I have, if you drink of this living water, you know what's going to happen? It's going to become a well inside of you springing up to life. The picture of this water is the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in someone, through someone, rivers of living water flowing out of them. That, that, that's the picture of a well in the new covenant. 
The Bible says in Genesis chapter two, when God made man, it says that he formed him from the dust of the earth. You're dirt, naturally speaking. Runs pretty counter to the message I'm trying to convey. <laughs> you're, you're dirt, you're flesh. From dirt we came, the Bible says that that's what we're gonna return to. So here we have a picture of this well. Somebody's taken a bunch of dirt and clogged that thing up so it can't be a well anymore unless someone's willing to get that dirt out of the way. Get that dirt out of the way and allow that life, allow that water to start to flow again. Let it, let it do what, what that well was designed to do in the first place. Fasting helps us to get rid of the flesh, that natural limited mindset. I, I died to my flesh. Why? Because there's a well on the inside of me. There's a well on the inside of you that bubbles up with life, that, that flows from you to minister to the people around you. God, God wants to expand your thinking this morning of what he wants to do in you and through you. But one of the things that needs to happen is to unstop some wells, to uncap some wells. Say, God, I'm not going to think about my life. I'm not going to think about my potential. I'm not going to think about this year and allow the fleshly limitations to keep me from dreaming and believing the things that you, the things that you have for me. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. In a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask Pastor John, Jonathan and the band to begin to lead us. And I want you to just allow God to begin to stir up fresh vision on the inside of you, to see this year the way that he sees it. God does not want this year to be just like last year. He wants it to be something new, something fresh, something unique. He wants you to bear fruit that you've never borne before. He wants you to go places you've never gone before. That's why he gives you the feet of a deer. He makes changes on the inside of you because he's got a place for you to go. He doesn't give you the feet of a deer just because, I, I don't know, I thought it'd be funny. No, because he want, he's got a purpose for it, that you belong on mountaintops. He's made the changes on the inside of you. He's dealt with you in your heart about that. He's spoken to you through someone else about that. He's caused his word to come alive on the inside. Why? Because he's got something for you to do with it. He's got a place that you belong with it, but it takes people believing. It takes faith. Say, God, God, I'm all yours. God, I'm all yours. I'll believe. God, I'll believe you can do amazing things in me and through me. When I look at this year and I plan and I dream, when I look at this next season of my life and I plan and I dream, I'm not going to think about maybe getting a promotion at work. I'm not going to think about maybe getting those new kitchen countertops. I'm going to think about making kingdom impact. That's Zoar stuff. That's Zoar. That's, that's insignificant stuff. There's nothing wrong with it, but God's got a higher place. He wants you to keep on coming up, but it takes faith to engage it. We're going to take some time this morning just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. God, I'll, whatever limitations I've put on myself, uncap those wells. I, I, let, the, let the life of the Holy Spirit paint a picture in my heart of where you're calling me to, the impact you want me to have. According to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith, be it unto you. You know, there's a story in the Bible when the Israelites got to the promised land. They set in 12 spies and 10, 10 of them came out and said, man, not a chance. <laughs> Walls are high. People are big. Well armed. Looks like they know what they're doing. Not a chance. They were looking at the natural. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, you're right. But then two of them were, were totally seeing it from a different plane, a, a different way of thinking from the spiritual realm. Yeah, yeah, the people are big, the walls are big, but you know what? God says it's ours. 
And if he says it's ours, it's ours. It's ours. If God said I can go there, I can go there. If God said we can do it, we can do it. If God said that's what he has for me, then that's what he has for me. That's the kind of faith we need to have as individuals. What, what, what does God want to do in your life this year? More than pay off a credit card. More than make it to Myrtle Beach. Man, there, there's people people waiting for you to step into the things that God has for you. There's people waiting for you to unstop those wells. No more fleshly thinking. Lord, let your water flow. Let your life flow through me. Do what only you can do. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.